The following is a production of Government CIO Media. Welcome to GovCast. I'm your host, Amanda Ziedit, reporter with Government CIO Media. So Camille actually is no longer with us for GovCast, if you've been following. She is taking time to see the world, and as cliche as that sounds, she's actually taking time to travel South America and Mexico with her husband and her dog, Freya. So as much as we'll miss her, we'll be following her on social media and her travel adventures. But we have so much more in store for GovCast, a lot of fun things coming up, so continue to follow us. Speaking of seeing the world, today on GovCast, we have Stephanie Neal. She's the executive director of USDS at the Department of Homeland Security. Stephanie spent the majority of her younger years traveling around the world with her father, who was a U.S. ambassador to a small country in South Africa called Benin. And now, Stephanie is with the United States Digital Services, which is a startup at the White House. It was stood up in 2014 under the Obama administration, and Stephanie's been there for two and a half years. Her tenure does run out next summer, but she is currently working on a number of projects within USDS and is joining us here today to talk about those. Thank you so much for being here, Stephanie. Thank you for having me, Amanda. So for those who don't know, USDS is a startup in the White House, and it was originally they thought there'd be 10 or so people. There is more than 200 government-wide, and Stephanie happens to be one of those. So where were you prior? I was working as a director of product within Interactive Core, otherwise known as IAC, which is basically a big tech conglomerate owned by Barry Diller, or at the time was owned by Barry Diller. Did you go to school for anything technology related? No, but I did fall into the tech industry while in college. So my major was international relations, global business, but I've always been a bit of a hustler on the side. So I started doing some branding work, you know, just like interning. And eventually I ended up at a stealth startup actually in the Bay Area doing product management and user experience work, which at the time I didn't know was even called that. I was technically building Facebook app pages, <laughs> which cool. I don't think that even exists anymore. And if it does, it's a very unpopular feature. What are Facebook app pages? So it was like communities that you could build. I guess they transitioned it to groups, which make a lot more okay. sense. But at the time, I was part community manager, part interaction designer, mm-hmm. part product manager, thinking about the features that best support the communities and, and whatnot. That sounds pretty similar to what USDSers do, mm-hmm. user design, product management. How did that land you in USDS? eventually. Oh, yeah. So I started out at that startup and, you know, I got a taste for tech. I then graduated right into the recession, which was awesome. Good timing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) From there, I spent like six months just trying to find real full-time work that was more challenging and had more breadth. And I ended up landing a position with a mind mapping software company called MindJet. I then went on to manage one of their major money-making lines, Mind Manager for Mac. From there, I went to Lionsgate Entertainment, where I managed their mobile line. I helped them launch their mobile app suite for the first time. What brought me to USDS, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a government background, as in, you know, my father was in the Foreign Service my whole life. So having grown up in a government family, you always have sort of this inclination toward public service. Actually, when I was graduating college, I took the Foreign Service exam because I really wanted to, you know, follow in my dad's footsteps. And I passed the exam, but I failed the qualifications board, 
which was really <laughs> devastating for me at the time. So had you passed, you would have definitely taken that route. I absolutely yeah. would have. I think my whole life I just assumed I would go into foreign service. So it was a little devastating, but I bounced back. International you know, relations, with, foreign service. That yeah. Sense. yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned, obviously I went into high tech. It was a really successful path for me. But I always sort of had this desire to work within the government but it became harder and harder for me to see myself there, especially since I no longer felt qualified to join the Foreign Service. <laughs> Until one day, a friend told me about U.S. Digital Service, effectively a startup in the White House. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can really see myself there. Kind of like a collision of both of your worlds. Exactly. Like your call to public service and the new technology startup world that you found yourself in after college. Exactly. What kind of challenges, I'm assuming there must have been some since you spent some time in industry, cultural shifts, barriers, did you face taking that leap from industry to government, even though I guess the startup environment of USDS leads itself nicely <laughs> from Silicon Valley to DC, but um, there must have been some. Oh, yes. There's a ton of culture shock. And there's also just general barriers. You know, one of the hardest things to do within government is hiring. And, you know, I was hired directly to one of the agency teams, so Homeland Security. So I had to obtain a top secret clearance and that took months <laughs> and you never knew if you were going to get it. It was very opaque. There's those sort of literal barriers. But then once I arrived, I have a corporate background, so I'm used to bureaucracy in some sense, even though private industry doesn't like to admit it. Like they have their own stuff. It's just different. But I think what surprised me most about government culture was the concept of rank and file. Like the fact that a GS-15 could turn to a 14 and be like, you're a 14. This doesn't apply Mm -hmm. to you or, you know, that sort of like ranking like that just doesn't exist in the private sector. Mm -hmm. That and like the divide between contractor and fed. That was, you know, a bit of a learning curve for me to understand, like, how to more appropriately behave because there are contractors in private industry as well, but they're just a part of the team. Like, I wouldn't even really know if someone was a contractor or not. So I think those sorts of elements were unique and interesting. You talked about your father, and he was a U.S. ambassador to Benin in West Africa when you were growing up. So how long were you there for, and what was that like growing up in such a unique culture? How long did you live there for? So I lived in Benin for just a little over a year when I was a teenager, but growing up in a State Department family, we moved pretty much every two to three years throughout the Middle East, throughout Europe, and throughout West Africa. It was an interesting experience that provided me insight into the world that maybe most people obviously don't get, especially at a young age. And it kind of just taught me how while cultures can be different, people are pretty much the same everywhere. And you start to see these high level patterns of behavior and you start to understand how you can navigate within that culture just based on those commonalities. Where else did you live? Well, I was born in Germany and then I lived in Poland, Tunisia, Saudi, Egypt, France, and Benin. (laughs) Wow. I just wanted to know if you had any stories from these experiences growing up that stick with you that you'd like to share. One that I think is pretty funny still makes me laugh. I had just arrived in Benin to join my dad, and we took a trip up north in the country to the more rural part, and we were getting a tour around a hospital that the U.S. had funded to build. And it was just a huge group of people. Everyone's walking around casually. And there are these gigantic spiders literally everywhere. <laughs> like their webs are hanging from trees and they're literally as long as your hand. They were gigantic. And I was like, does no one else notice these huge spiders? It's just like there for everyone else. Like they live with them. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, OK, well, they can't be poisonous. Otherwise, like I feel like people, you know, they were like on railings. They were just everywhere, like unavoidable. <laughs> and so then I, I grabbed one of the guides and I was like, are these spiders poisonous? Or And he's like, oh, yes, very. 
but just like oh happy as can be. Very poisonous. Like they're just here. We live with them. Yeah. Just don't touch them. <laughs> yeah. But like no one was like, hey, heads up. Look out for these spiders. <laughs> like, How did that experience shape your cultural and professional outlook, especially now working with public in mm-hmm, the public mm-hmm. service? Well, I guess the perspective that I mentioned is a really useful one, particularly when working in the public sector. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it really helped me as a product person, because as a product person, what you're trying to do is identify what are the needs of the majority in order to use your product, right, in order to buy your product. So you're always looking for patterns, right? And you're always trying to better understand your audience and your market. So growing up, you know, where there was constant change, you look for similarities and you look for these patterns. I don't know how familiar you are with product management, but my favorite way to describe it is you're there to organize chaos. And I think changing countries every few years and starting over, it's it's a lot of chaos that you then become really good at organizing. So what are you working on right now in DHS as a part of USDS? We are focused around three populations. We have two teams within the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency. One that is focused on the immigration side of the house. We're helping to improve immigration benefits processing. We've largely been focused on helping a system known as the Electronic Immigration System, otherwise known as ELIS. We actually began working with them the summer of 2014. And fun fact, it technically predates the existence of USDS. Wow. (laughs) So it's our longest running engagement. I believe, throughout digital service. We've worked with them to basically adopt modern practices, move to more modern technologies, as well as integrate user experience design into the program to deliver better product to its users. So how has Ellis changed in the past four years? When we first started working with them, they had less than 10% of their workload online. As of late last fall, they now have over 50%. That's awesome. So what's next for Ellis? What are you working on functionality or capability-wise right now or the last year or so that you're there? Mm -hmm. We are working alongside the program to help deliver on adjustment of status, which is how an immigrant would obtain the legal permanent resident card. It's by far the most complex uh, benefit line that they have because there's many ways you can adjust your status. But by bringing that online, we will have the system running with close to 80% of the total workload, which will be a huge gain for the program. Yeah. And do you see user engagement going up? Is that how you track success or improvement in the system? So we work mostly on the internal benefits processing side. So, I mean, it's effectively the tool that they have to use, right? Mm -hmm. The alternative is paper, but definitely user feedback is a huge indicator. You know, when we help launch naturalization, which is how one, you know, becomes a citizen, When we helped launch that, taking trips out to the field, observing people actually using it, understanding, you know, where were bottlenecks and what was working and what wasn't was a huge piece of that launch. And as I said, you know, we partnered closely with the program folks so that they could also conduct usability testing and see the product in action and hear from the users. I know a big part of USDS is creating services and capabilities that citizens and internal folks want to use, can use, know how to use. It's easy. It's usable. Mm -hmm. How did you guys go about making sure that these were the kinds of processes that people would use efficiently? We've tried a bunch of different tactics. We started out by first helping to design the UI so that it was task-based, which is more user-friendly. And that approach can be applied across benefit, right? We started, you know, working with the program to actually get them out into the field to talk to users and conduct usability testing. We've worked with them to roll out things like beta testing, as well as just general phased rollouts of product lines. 
as opposed to flip the switch launches. We're actually working with the program now to help bring in director of user experience, which correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that will be the first of their kind in government. Yeah, that's really creative. Yeah. Really creative position. Absolutely. And we have a ton of support from the program manager and from the agency, a real true hire. <laughs> At least that's the hope. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, we've had a lot of support from the agency just around the design initiatives that we've done, that we've brought in, largely because they really understand the importance of getting that user feedback and what happens when you don't. What has the experience been like for you? What's been the most rewarding thing about working at USDS so far? The most rewarding part of working at DHSDS so far is when you're able to see the impact of the work you do. You may have heard people call USDSers, you know, firefighters, like they come in, they're the technical SWAT team of nerds or whatever that like come in and fix something when it's on fire. And that's true to some extent. And I'm sure there's like a degree of satisfaction from doing something like that. But my team has been more focused on making technical and design changes and bringing in these practices as a means to culture change. And it's far and away the most rewarding experience to see the people around you start to grow and start to embrace more agile practices and more modern thinking when it comes to software development. I remember when I started, I was the only one around the table who was talking about things like zero trust networks. And, you know, people still gave me the side eye when we talked about the cloud, moving to the cloud. Now, like, I'm the quietest voice in the room on those subjects. Like, everyone is excited and everyone is leaning into that. I can't say that USDS is responsible for that solely by any means, but even if we contributed to that even a bit, it's a really rewarding feeling. I also, in summer 2016, ran a sprint codenamed Screaming Eagle, where we took a look at a product line that had been launched, the I-90 form, also known as Renewing Your Legal Permanent Resident Card. So it had been moved from paper processes to online, basically as an MVP, and After about a year of it being live, the executives noticed that a backlog had grown and was bottlenecked, so it was continuously growing. And the wait time, you know, it eventually got so bad that instead of waiting, you know, three to four months average, which is what was normal for paper, people were waiting closer to a year. And actually, you know, if your illegal permanent resident card is expiring, you obviously want to get it renewed because that could jeopardize things like your job or being in the country. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So important things, Right. right? So they would go into the centers, right, to get their biometrics taken, and the people would put a sticker that would extend it six months. And even those stickers were starting to run out. So it was becoming an issue, obviously, for the people as well as for the agency. So they asked us to come in and take a look to see if there were any improvements that could help reduce the backlog and speed up the processing. So we did a discovery sprint, which is essentially a time-boxed research and analysis effort that produced a prototype and a set of recommendations. So the agency accepted you know, the whole set of recommendations and implemented. And I believe they finished the implementation in October. And we are now seeing the backlog drop from, I believe, a high of about 750,000. It's now approaching 100,000. Wow. And there are even like a few instances of people being approved for a green card within a matter of hours versus almost a year. That's incredible. Why is it called Screaming Eagle? Can I ask? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a funny story. So one of the people on our immigration team when I started had a laptop. Have you ever seen a government laptop? Are they like big and bulky? Yes, (laughs) for the most part. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) It's gotten a little better. But he got the biggest and the bulkiest. And 
like the fan it would overheat all the time oh <laughs> like he got kicked out of a meeting once because his fan was so loud but yeah so he had this giant briefcase of a computer oh, that man. was like constantly like screaming so he called it screaming oh, eagle okay that's funny so, yeah so i also saw on linkedin you were part of something called girls who code yeah can you talk about that a little bit that sounds cool yeah so girls who code is a large organization and i believe their mission is to basically close the gender gap within technology when i was working at iac i had the opportunity to participate in a program a summer program where i worked with a girl probably like seventh or eighth grade and i just helped her build a website so it was a sort of a mentoring experience I also founded Women in Product DC Chapter, which is another organization basically to build community for women who are in product management. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I do have a history of starting these types of groups. Like no I, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need a side project of some sort. Of <laughs> I founded the Product Camp in San Francisco back in 2011. I've participated in Startup Weekend, Girls Who Code, User Experience New York. But for Women in Product, I actually had no intent to start a new chapter. I just reached out and I was like, hey, can you hook me up with whoever runs this? I'd love to start attending events. And they're like, yeah, you can attend an event as soon as you throw an event. <laughs> I was like, okay. Build the DC chapter. Yeah. <laughs> what do they so, do? Women in Product is a nonprofit organization that's passionate about, obviously, product management, who aims to build a strong community of women builders and leaders in the tech industry. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot on GovCast. Ironically, we have many female guests who are in the tech world who talk mm -hmm. about this challenge and this gender gaps. Do you see it closing? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> For me, it would be anecdotal. Around mm -hmm. the DHS executive leadership table, I'm seeing more and more women join, which is great. Technically, I report into the CIO shop. So, you know, I'm definitely not the only woman at the table, although depending where else I am spending my day, sometimes I am. But I did just Google it, and I think we're still hovering around 20% women in tech. I've spoken to many women in USDS, so I feel like at least the startup in the White House has a better handle on that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I believe we're actually over 50% women, which is a great stat for both government and tech. And I think it's something like 60% women leadership. Wonderful. That's a great example for everyone to follow. <laughs> so to close, I wanted to ask if there was anything at DHS before you left USDS that you wish you could tackle from a design perspective, usability perspective, what would it be? So I would say there are two things that I would love to impact within DHS before I left. I would love to find a way to bring user experience design into the department. Right now, it's just not a function that exists. There are product folks. There are obviously engineers. You know, there's security experts and acquisition experts, but there's just no user experience design. And I think design is still thought of as pixel pushing when it's so much more than that, right? Not only are you solving the problem right, but are you solving the right problem? And I think that the government would benefit from that type of thinking being more prolific. So if we could somehow find a way to create that career track and then be able to advertise that to designers and start bringing them in, I think that would be hugely beneficial to the department, if not the entire government. Another project that I would love to see grow. So as I'm sure you know, the government uses a lot of forms. <laughs> yep, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of paper-based forms. There are actually 23,000 different forms that the government currently offers, I guess. And this manual form processing of paperwork actually takes up 11.4 billion hours of paperwork annually. And we know we can reduce that just by creating web forms. 
So our headquarters group actually recently started a project called the U.S. Forms System, which is essentially an open source library to build forms for easier ingestion. So that is obviously just the first step, but I think it's a really important one and one that can help across government gain efficiencies. So with your contract being up next summer, do you think you'll continue to find ways to help government innovate or do you think you'll go back to industry? I really would love to find ways to continue to serve the country. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stephanie. Thanks, Amanda. This week's episode is supported by Lumina. Lumina's mission is to use AI systems to protect the world. To learn more about Lumina, visit its website at luminaanalytics.com. So we just had Stephanie Neal on air. She's the executive director of USDS at DHS. Really awesome conversation. She actually started her life mostly in other countries. Her dad was a U.S. ambassador to Benin, a small country in South Africa. And the way that those experiences shaped her cultural perspective in America today and her professional career was really inspiring, really cool. I loved what she said about people are the same everywhere. I think especially at this time, that's a really enlightening perspective. Also, she started in the mobile app world. She's always wanted to be in public service, and she ended up here kind of at a midway between international relations, like her father, and technology. We also seem to have a theme with GovCast. The majority of our guests come from a variety of backgrounds and somehow all end up in the government technology or industry technology space. It's really amazing. We had Shannon Sarton, also with USDS, who majored in Italian, worked for the company behind Halo and still ended up at USDS. Jose Arrieta with HHS, he actually wanted to pursue a career in basketball and detoured into technology as well. And even Pete Newell, he started his own company in Silicon Valley, but that was only after a long and prestigious military career. So it's very interesting to see how all of our guests are sort of coming from their own experiences, but are still leading to government, innovating government, and being able to create these programs and solutions that are really changing the way that users work with their government, just like Stephanie Neal is. Now USDS, DHS is working on these form systems to really cut down the backlog of paper forms and make that easier to work with. It's really inspiring to see how all all these guests are changing government from the inside out from a variety of different backgrounds. So I'm really excited to see where Stephanie and the rest of the USDS team takes DHS in the next year or in the future. If you want to hear more about our conversation to talk more about what me and Stephanie talked about today or any previous interviews with GovCast, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at GCIO Media or my personal Twitter at AZD610. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on GovCast. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media. It's produced and edited by Rob Ford. Our theme music is provided by Big Hoax. Our executive producer is Michael Hoffman. If you're interested in sponsoring GovCast, you can email Andy Andrews at randrews at governmentcio.com. Mm-hmm.